Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm here with attorney Mark Scroggins of the Scroggins Family Law Firm in Dallas, serving Dallas, Collin, and Denton counties. This is the Scroggins Family Law Podcast Series, featuring news and information in Texas divorce and family law topics. Today, we're all talking about children and eyewitness testimony in divorce and family law cases. Uh, this is a subject that uh, brings up all sorts of opinions, comments, and thoughts. Uh, some of the things that we're going to chat about this morning are the subject matter, which would be generally appropriate, requiring child eyewitness testimony. So, in other words, when is it appropriate? We're also going to talk about age and maturity factors uh, influencing whether to put children up on the stand and where you might have a battle over that. Uh, Also, inherent credibility issues, especially among younger children who are asked to testify. Of course, we are also going to chat about some alternatives to traditional in-court testimony to incorporate uh, the testimony of children. I'm here with attorney Mark Scroggins, who is board certified in family law and is an aggressive, experienced trial attorney practicing in Dallas, Collin, and Denton counties. By way of disclaimer, this is a general information program and not legal advice. Let's say good morning to Mark Scroggins. Hey, Nick. How you doing? Good. It sounds like you are literally rushing in or out of court. <laughs> yeah, I am just getting back in, and uh, as it is a Monday, you know, I had to do the most important thing, which is, uh, you know, get my damn coffee machine going so that I can get some more caffeine, because otherwise it could be ugly. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, always I always uh, have to you know laugh in the background here when um, I email you for when we're doing our next podcast. It's always a Monday morning. I say, hey man, let's start the week strong and let's we cover some really fun and exciting, exhilarating topics and child eyewitness testimony. Man, I can't you know you can't beat that on a Monday morning. So. Um, I'm just going to jump in here and uh, offer a little bit of, you know, my background with this. Um, when I was in college, I did an independent study. On, I mean, I was, you know, I was getting ready for law school. I wanted to get all my ducks in a row. And I said, I'm going to study child eyewitness testimony. And there was a woman named Elizabeth Loftus who was well written on the subject. And just a few of the things, just kind of as a reference that I remember learning, um, were from the world of psychology and um, how children are interested in pleasing adults, how children are interested, you know, how they respond in uh, the more you know, more stressful situations where emotions are higher, uh, how children want to please adults, how children, you know, there's all sorts of inherent credibility problems and fallibility with children as eyewitnesses. Um, you know, so it's, it's interesting. They're, they're, children are kind of like that friend you have that, Usually you think they don't know what they're talking about, but every now and then they'll chime in with something that's spot on and dead accurate and very reliable. Um, So it's kind of, you know, sometimes piecing out, uh, you know, what's going on there. Um, So anyways, it's, it's a really interesting concept. And, you know, we, when we talk about using children as witnesses, um, you know, there's, we're going to talk about age ranges um, you know, different alternatives to putting them up on the stand. We can do depositions. There's all sorts of things we can do. But, Mark, I want to hear from your experience that when it has come up 
And when you've wrestled with some of these decisions as a, a board certified family lawyer on, you know, putting children up on the witness stand. And I mean, it can, I mean, talk about opening Pandora's box sometimes, but let's just talk about what type of subject matter usually opens the door to the use of children as witnesses. Well, I mean, they're family law is a little bit, uh, well, not a little bit. It is a very different beast. Um, you know, when it comes to, uh, to child testimony, I mean, so let me just give a little bit of history here and kind of how things, how things generally work. And then, and then where, where it gets really sticky. So most people have heard about, uh, what used to be termed an affidavit of preference. Okay. And that was where a kid could sign an affidavit basically saying, you know, who, you know, who the kiddo wanted to live with mom or dad. And, um, you know, and it was not the be all end all. I mean, it was not, uh, something that the judge had to go, okay, well, kid wants to be with mom. So the kid's living with mom, but it was a, it is a piece of evidence for the court to consider in making a determination. Okay. So it was 14 at one time, then it dropped to 12, then it dropped to 10, then it went back up to 12 and now it's gone. So there's no longer any such thing. And it is replaced with something that has been there before, which is the ability for the court to interview the child. Okay. They got rid, they got rid of the affidavit because they found it was, uh, too easily manipulated, you know, um, because part of the problem that you run into with kids is what you were talking about, the people-pleasing thing. And so, you know, you can turn that, uh, you know, mini-me into a yes-man of, uh, you know, echoing what you want to hear. So that's part of the problem there. Or you had someone who's going to swoop in and, hey, I'll buy you a new car, or, hey, we're going to go out and get you all these new clothes if you just do do this. And so they did away with it. So now it is a situation where um, – where the court can interview the kids in chambers, and that is far and away the most common uh, thing that is used with kids in family courts because the judges generally um, frown very heavily on kids being used as witnesses, okay, because like most uh, – you know, most uh, most of the big counties have standing orders where uh, one of those standing orders is that the parents are not supposed to discuss the litigation with the kids. Well, you know, if <laughs> if you're going to put a kid on the stand, you're discussing the litigation with them. So as you can see, it's kind of a problem. So aside from that, there is nothing out there that says that you can't use a kid as a witness. Uh, I think you tend to see that kind of thing much more in criminal cases than you do in family law cases. And then, you know, and when you get into that, you get into the, you know, viability of eyewitness testimony in general. And there have been, as you, as you know, there have been all kinds of studies on eyewitness testimony. And frankly, it tends to be some of the uh, weakest actual evidence that can be used because, of, you know, the eyes and the brain play tricks on us and, and tend to, you know, form what we want to see uh, or go to something that is familiar. Um, so, so anyway, there are – so that's kind of a – not kind of, actually. That is a very long-winded answer to your question. So 
there was something that is not in place anymore. Now they typically do an interview in chambers with nobody else around to try to, you know, uh, get get the kiddo to to feel more comfortable. And uh, and it, like the affidavit, is a situation where the court uh, just uses that as one other piece of evidence in making its determination. That being said, aside from what is in the standing orders there are not any direct prohibitions against a child's testimony being used. You just are going to, you know, your Texas Rules of Civil Procedure and Texas Rules of Evidence, uh, or if you're in federal court, going to the federal Rules of Evidence and federal Rules of Civil Procedure relating to, um, you know, credibility of witness testimony. So so that was very long-winded and convoluted, and I don't know that it answered a whole lot of, hey, should we or shouldn't we? <laughs> it's, it falls into that definite maybe category. Well, this is, that's what my job is to, uh, you know, sort of cross-examine you and uh, pull us and uh, mm-hmm. some, get some more, uh, develop this more. So, I mean, we'll get to Texas rules of evidence and objections and things like that. Uh, so I'm sure. looking again at subject matter, and I can think of, you know, you I think you, uh, you know, nailed it on the idea of who do you want to live with. And I think that that's normally when people think about children as witnesses, some of the first things. Um, Other things that I can think of having worked in uh, high net worth and complex family law cases, standard of living, um, things that children are accustomed to when we're talking about deviating from uh, financial standards, uh, property issues, um, I'm just trying to think of you know other where other situations where children as as family members may have personal knowledge um, to to certain things you know but you know then I also think well if we're talking about um, you know money or you know different things we suppose we can prove those using financial statements and 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 uh, and other things I guess maybe it's um, you know, fitness of, of, of parents, um, you know, what happens when, um, you know, it's someone is trying to establish that mom or dad is not the best caregiver. And, um, you know, what about allegations of things that happen to children? You know, maybe there's some younger children and there's a, an older child who has seen more, um, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe that's something that, uh, you know, is going to, you know, like we said, instead of being out there in full court with everyone's eyes on them, maybe it's a 14-year-old or a 16-year-old who's, um, you know, maybe interviewed by the judge and done in an in-camera setting or, uh, or alternative setting like that. Uh, yeah, that is, I think, much more, uh, much more commonplace. I mean, and there are all kinds of safeguards, okay? I mean, like in, uh, I mean, you've got this through, you know, through, throughout the legal system, but I mean, where you see it is in family law. I mean, you've got attorneys ad litem and you've got amicus attorneys, which we talked about, I think, on the last podcast that we did, and it actually kind of dovetails well with this. But those are typically what the court wants to see used in determining, uh, you know, an amicus for determining what's in the best interest of the kids and an ad litem to represent the desires of the kids, okay? So so if you're trying to prove up standard of living and stuff like that, which which actually is a little different in Texas, standard of living is, it's not like California or, or New York where, you know, if, if uh, you know, kids used to uh, jaunting off to Europe for two months during the summer or into the Caribbean for another month, 
you know, that's something that you might be dealing with more in California or New York, but you're not going to deal with that as much in, in Texas. It's not so much standard of living. It goes more to what the needs of the kids are. So some of that same stuff is going to come into play, but you've got to, you've got to approach it from a different standpoint. You know, so it's not just saying, well, we've been used to this all the time. You know, we rode our quarter horses and we did this and we did that. You just have to come at it from a very different angle. And uh, so generally where you see it more, and it really is the exception rather than the rule, and I would emphasize that uh, you have to be abundantly careful in approaching the idea of putting a child witness on the stand in a family law matter. But it's generally going to be related to behaviors that are happening in one, um, one household or the other. I mean, I, I, I can give you a perfect example where this was a case probably five years ago, a child custody case that we were trying. And, you know, the, there were three kids, and these kids um, – uh, and these kids were always complaining about what was going on over at dad's house and that dad and stepmother were just grilling them and talking about the litigation and saying all kinds of shitty stuff and, and all this. And, uh, you know, but nobody else was present. And dad and stepmom denied it, just flat out denied it. Um, so we ended up getting an ad litem appointed. And. Um, you know, the ad litem heard the same thing, but there wasn't any proof. And so the ad litem was even a little skeptical. Well, what ended up happening, um, the eldest child, I want to say was 15 at the time, um, and she took it upon herself to just uh, to tape record. She had a tape recorder, and, uh, and they got it all on tape. And uh, showing, you know, dad and stepmom grilling them. Now, uh, you know, I obviously could not and would not make that recommendation. Uh, I can tell you that the, the tape did a lot of damage to dad. That's for damn sure. Um, but typically it's going to be, you know, it's going to come out another way. Now, if, if that would not have come out that way, that would have been a case where I would have seriously considered putting the eldest child on the stand. So I would have seriously considered it. Now, the question is what the blowback is on that, because, boy, you talk about, you know, you have to be dealing with witnesses is difficult anyway, and you're going to deal with witnesses differently depending on, are they a friendly witness? Are they a hostile witness? What can they offer? What, you know, are they a sympathetic witness? Are you, just, are you trying the case to a jury? Are you trying the case to the judge? You know, those are all variables that you have to take into consideration in, in witness selection and the determination of you know, who, when, and where. <laughs> you know? So those are all things that you really have to be careful of, and you, you better be damn sure that you know what this kid is going to say. Because remember who your source is. Your source is the parent that wants the kid to say what they tell you the kid is going to say. But if you get that kid up on the stand and they don't say that, you're screwed. From a strategic standpoint, you can't come at them like you would you know, crossing another witness who you know, is all, all of a sudden crawfishing on something. You, know, you just right, can't do that. Yeah, you just can't do it. So, 
I mean, it, I, it is you don't know, rife with issues. It's. I mean, you also don't know what. Um, you know, they could. You know, I'm a. You can imagine the child who says, "I'm going to answer all the questions how they want. I'm going to answer the questions. I'm going to answer the questions. Then I'm going to drop the bomb." And um, you know, which could be all sorts of things, and your uh, you know custody and uh, visitation issue could turn into a CPS case. And, uh, you know, and then there's, I mean, with children who, um, you know, I think about, I, I, I hate to suggest that children fabricate things and fabricate situations of abuse and neglect and trauma. Um, but we've also seen, you know, in the research that's out there, um, the, you know, some children looking for secondary gain, looking for attention, you know, and sometimes the lies that children may tell could be a symptom of something far different and greater that's happening. And I'm going to suggest that um, a family, a good family law attorney may know a lot about their client and a lot about that client's home and situation and family, but you only get what your client really gives to you. And, you know, at the end of the day, no one can really know what's really going on. So absolutely, can it be opening Pandora's box? Yes, it can. So now let's talk about what happens when you are the attorney and the opposing party says, well, I want to put the 15-year-old daughter on here to talk about things involving custody and other issues that are going on. And you're saying, "Uh, I just am not sure that this is a good idea. Um, Right. You're the attorney who does not want them up there because you know that this can be potentially problematic. Um, and uh, you may have a, a, a zealous opponent who feels very differently. How does that how does that pan out? Well, I'd probably file a motion to uh, try to keep them from testifying, um, you know, and and go through the litany of issues that I just went through, um, you know, and back it up with a bunch of you know bunch of uh, studies, uh, etc., uh, and try to tell the court that you know. And here's here's the thing to to remember, we've got this little, you know, I think a lot of people kind of look at it as a throwaway, but it's actually incredibly powerful that, you know, just about anybody's testimony can be stricken if, you know, it is prejudicial in nature and the prejudicial nature uh, outweighs the probative value of the evidence. Okay, so if you've got, you know, a kid who is going to, um, Here's, here would be a situation. Let's say you've got a situation where there has been an outcry of sexual abuse, okay? And it has been investigated by the police and no charges. It has been investigated by CPS, and uh, they, their resolution is that it didn't, you know, that there's not enough to go forward or that uh, it just didn't happen. So... Um, you know, in that situation, you've got two different governmental agencies that have come back and said, um, you know, hey, there's nothing there. But this person wants to put it on saying, you know, hey, everybody else has gotten it wrong, and this is going to be the outcry, and this, that, and the other. You know, my – in that situation, I'd be saying, obviously, that the prejudicial nature of the testimony outweighs the probative value in light of, you know, all this other kind of stuff that's happened. Now, what did, what what happens with that? I don't know, man. That's a hard that, – that's why, you know, people 
wear the black robe. I don't have to do that. I just advocate. I don't have to be Solomon. So, <laughs> you know, that's a that's a hard one. I don't know what happens on yeah. on something when like that. And, and obviously, there there are other situations where it's going to be, you know, less. I don't want to say less important. I want to say, you know, but but it's not going to be as inflammatory as a situation like that. Um, but right, you know, right. that kind of stuff is freaking scary. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know what the right answer is, and uh, that's where you know there's really that whole weigh-in thing that goes on. Well, you know, here's another thing that's uh, an interesting concept. Um, we know that uh, kids are not supposed to have certain social media accounts, but hey, we know that they all get them somehow anyways um right what what happens when now we have uh, our zealous opposing counsel who wants to open the door to child as a witness because of facebook or twitter or snapchat or things that they have said on social media now we're going into a world where mom and dad may both be shrugging their heads saying i have no earthly idea what this child may say I, you know what? I just missed that last part. I'm sorry, my phone kind of did something there, Nick. Can you say that again? I said, I said, if the other, if your opposing counsel brings in that they want to discuss, they want to put the child on the on the stand, or they want to put the child in, you know, they want to depose the child or something, um, mm. or interview the child in camera with the judge because of s- social media. Um, you know, kids have Twitter these days. There, there are things that through the discovery process, you may find that it's, you know, we're so concerned about. Um, what are, what we or our or our spouse are doing online? There's also children uh, online too. Oh, there's no question. And um, you know, I mean, you're. Uh, this is frankly, you know, getting into when we start talking about social media and what you can get into and what you can't with, you know, with a with a child because I mean you've got hearsay issues and all that. I mean, it really is something that would take more time than the time we have today because you really got to get kind of into the academics and all of it. Um, and it's, you know, I can geek out, frankly, on the, on the legal side of it because it is a very interesting stu- uh, subject to me uh, just from the academics of it, you know. However, I think, I think what we can probably leave people with that will make the most sense <laughs> rather than getting into all the details is understand that the – yeah, uh, understand that in a family law matter, the likelihood of ever placing a child on the stand is very low, okay? It is very low. It is, you know, it is the Hail Mary. It is the, the you know, thing of last resort. Everything has gone to hell in a handbasket. You know, if, if the judge could hang you for being a jackass, they would have hung you already. You've got to get something. You've got to pull something out from somewhere. That's the kind of decision that is. Okay? It's just it is, it is absolutely something that is going to be the last resort. Um, you know, you generally are, if you want to start looking at social media and stuff like that, there are generally other ways that you can get that stuff in. You know, there's, there are exceptions to the hearsay rules, and I think when you – look at a situation where where kids are posting stuff you know a couple depending on what they post and the manner in which they post it that always come to mind are present sense impression and excited utterance you know so if you've got you know junior who um uh posts something that 
oh my God, mom and her wine buddies just showed, showed up at the house and they're all faced. You know, and you've got an exclamation right. point. Well, that looks like present sense impression to me or an excited utterance, either one of those, and that's coming in. You know, as long as you can establish, you know, the authenticity of the account and all that kind of stuff. But if you've just got, you know, someone saying, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, this, this today's kind of boring, you know, uh, thinking about doing this with my friends, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that ain't seeing the time of day, you know, so uh, – so there are all kinds of different ways to get into it. Just, you know, I think the important thing is to think of uh, that it is absolutely the last resort. And here's something we haven't really talked about. If you are the parent that is looking to put that kid on the stand, you've got to know that the judge is going to be looking at you in an incredibly scrutinizing manner. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so, so there's another part of the weigh-in process. Is it worth it? I don't know, man. You better, <laughs> you better think that through. So, and once again, just to emphasize this, I think that becomes, it's always an issue, but it is, it is going to be less the older the child gets. I mean, if you've got a child that's 17 years old, that's a different story, you know, as compared to, you know, a kid that's 10 or that's 12. I mean, you know, so... Anyway, just a lot of stuff to think about with that. Well, and one thing that I think that you uh, mentioned, what I think was um, it ties into our last show we did when we talked about the different attorneys who get involved representing children, the ad litems, and um, you know the also the, you know the child custody evaluator. There's all sorts of other you know when when the children are involved, there's all sorts of other methods uh, to talk to you, you know, where we have professionals as uh, interceding individuals who will, you know, interview the children and write reports where, you know, to, to, the, if the goal is to get the information and input into making a determination on what's in the children's best interest, um, did those other professionals, if you could just touch on that really quickly. Yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, social studies that, that are done and you've got, we talked about the interview. Now, um, I said social studies. I should call it a child custody evaluation because the nomenclature changed, you know, last, I guess, last legislative session to uh, <laughs> doing that, which I wish they would take into consideration that I'm getting too damn old to change what I call things now. So, uh, <laughs> but nobody called me and asked. So, anyway, so you do have, you know, all these litany of, of uh, mental health professionals that perform child custody evaluations. And in the child custody evaluations, you know, they, they interview mom, they interview dad, they go to the house, they see how the house is set up, they see the interaction between child and child and parent, and if there are other kids from another relationship, the interaction there, and they're going to interview collateral witnesses. And the idea is that the person conducting that child custody evaluation through the interview and access to all this different information is going to be in a position to make a recommendation upon which the court can rely in making their determination. Um, so that's all well and good in theory. But, you know, it, uh, you've got to look at each one of those on a case-by-case basis. You know, does the person really have the qualifications to be performing the child custody evaluation? How thorough were they? Did they, you know, what all did they do? What did they leave out? What did they take into consideration or what did they not take into consideration? So there's just a whole lot of, 
you know, different things there that, uh, that can play into it. So I don't know that, that that does a whole lot to ease the mind of the person who is, you know, kind of staring the whole process down. You know, your mind generally gets put at ease if you get a child custody evaluation that comes back, you know, in your favor. But, uh, uh, you know, just because you've got one in your favor doesn't mean that it can't be overcome as well. I mean, you know, I was in court the other day on a um, – last week you know and got a uh, got one kicked you know got it got it stricken it will never make an appearance in in that court again uh because the the person who was performing the the evaluation uh didn't adhere to what they were supposed to do and you know so the court kicked it and uh so once again you know lots and lots of stuff there that that plays into all this thing mhm mhm one of the things that um we talked about earlier just kind of touched upon was this idea of the judge interviewing uh, children in an in-camera uh, situation. Can you talk a little bit about mm-hmm. what the, the procedurally what that is like and what, you know, because I don't know if people assume that that's an open court, um, you know, how that all works. Yeah, it is not going to be an open court. It is, uh, it's something that is going to be done in the judge's chambers, and it can be done one of two ways, well, one of a multitude of ways, actually. I think what you see the vast majority of the time is just the judge talking to the kid without anybody present, anybody else present, okay? Now, you can request to have the court reporter in there to take everything down. A lot of, a lot of courts don't like to do that simply because they think that it, you know, it uh, kind of prevents the, the child from feeling like they can say whatever they need to say. You can also ask the court that the attorneys be present. Uh, most courts really don't like that one, uh, and that's because, you know, for that same reason. You know, if you've got, uh, you know, a couple of couple of lawyers hanging out there, you know, looking over the kid's shoulder, the idea that the child is going to be terribly forthcoming, uh, you know, is, is not, uh, yeah, it just doesn't play well. So, um, you know, so typically what's going to happen is the, the judge is going to interview the child in chambers by his or herself, and then is going to relate what he or she heard, you know, from, uh, from the kids. Now, uh, depending on how many different things are, uh, needing to be discussed, you know, sometimes the court will ask if there are specific questions that you would like asked and the court isn't going to, you know, or I've never seen it yet where they've asked that, you know, they've asked for you to submit, uh, you know, they aren't going to go off of a set of questions that you provide. Let's put it that way, okay? They, they will take the input that you are going to give, but each judge has their own way of interviewing things, and they're not going to go, you know, down a checklist, you know, like you're providing right. them with a cross-examination for the kids. What they want to try to do is get the child to relax, tell them that, hey, this is not, you know, this is something between you and, you know, between your parents. It, it you know, you're affected by it, but you didn't do anything to cause this. Both of your parents love you, blah, 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 blah. You know, so it's, you know, they just want to try to put the child at ease as much as possible. Conversely, they want to try to get the things answered that they need to get answered. Right, right. I think that we can sum this whole thing up by saying that children may or may not have relevant information that could or could not help someone trying to make determinations of fact as to what happened. There are alternative ways of getting information and insight without necessarily putting them on a spotlight under the court, under uh, the hot seat of the witness stand, you know, swearing the Bible and all that. 
Um, if you do, <laughs> you may have a buyer beware. You may have buyer's remorse. Um, uh, you know, people might stop by uh, other attorneys who are waiting for their case to be called, might stick around and watch. Um, always a very interesting topic. Mark, if people want to talk to you about this, um, you know, especially I want to also encourage, you know, when we do these programs, we're not always necessarily talking to um, those out there who are looking to hire lawyers, but also younger lawyers who may have situations where they just need to talk to someone else and bounce it off somebody else. Mark, Mark Scroggins here has, you know, years of experience. He's board certified. I would encourage young attorneys to get into some uh, potentially hot situations. You know, reach out. Have someone that you call and ask questions. You know, hey, you know, I, and I think that Mark will probably take the time to talk to you. Um, but, uh, Mark, if people want to continue um, and ask you questions and kind of follow up on some of these things, what's a good way to get a hold of you? You can always reach me by phone at the office, 214-469-3100, uh, or you can send me an email, which is just mark at scrogginsfamilylaw.com. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for another riveting Monday morning podcast. And um, we will be back next month with more interesting uh, information. I want to encourage people to also go to scrogginsfamilylaw.com where you will find literally a library of information, um, not only on the different website pages, but the whole video section. There are probably videos uh, that will answer just about every question you may have, in addition to our blog articles and all sorts of things. The best, the really the best client is an educated client and someone who knows, and they, sometimes it's just knowing enough of the issues to ask the right questions and, uh, you know, try to resolve everything, boil it down to brass tacks and really resolve what do we really need in life and what do we really need to do? Um, so again, scrogginsfamilylaw.com, all sorts of good information. Thank you again, Mark, and we'll talk to you again, again next time. Sounds good. Thanks, Nick. All right. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Okay. You too. Bye-bye.